Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Hello and welcome to Sacred Nine Podcast, Episode 5. A lot of exciting things are happening. We have launched the Jewel Prize for African American Spirituals and are now accepting new spirituals arrangements from yet unpublished African American composers. There is a $1,000 prize and a premiere in New Orleans in March 2024. For guidelines... And to learn how to donate to this initiative, please visit sacrednine.com slash jewel. For more information on giving, visit sacrednine.com slash giving. Here you can see donor tiers. Also, if you give exactly $300, not only will you be designated as a don patron, but also as a singer sponsor. I am so excited to have Regina YC Garcia on the podcast today. I first met her when I was producing a Sacred Nine project about the portrayal of women in American popular song. I had put out a call for poetry for new protest songs regarding women's issues, and I received a compelling submission from her. I hope to do an episode on that. I'm not the easiest person to get to know, but every now and then I meet someone who disarms me immediately. She was able to do that in just emails, so by the time I met her in person, I already loved her. As we know, Regina means queen, and let me say her mama knew what she was doing when she named her that. In fact, I don't think of it as a name, but as a title. Here's Regina. I am Regina Y.C. Garcia. I am an English professor at Pitt Community College in Greenville, North Carolina, and um, I am also a a poet. I call myself a language artist because I, I write poetry, but I also perform um, poetry and um, other things. <laughs> yeah. So um, I am I am uh, born in Texas. I grew up in 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 Greenville, North Carolina. Went to school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, got a graduate degree from East Carolina University. Um, so you can say I am a Carolina girl, um, rooted in the. Uh, in the soil of, of, of North Carolina. My mother and father are from here, even though I was born in Texas. Uh, and I just am excited to be here. I, I'm excited to um, be able to talk to you, of course. Um, one of the uh, great joys of my life was being connected to you and, um, and, and becoming a part of this whole Sacred Nine. I'm going to call it a movement. Okay, I like that. Nobody's yes. ever said that before, but I'll take it. Yes. And speaking of that movement, um, you mentioned UNC Chapel Hill. I don't know if I've told you that in the fall, I have, I'm going to have an engagement over there. Okay, so one of the history professors at UNC Chapel Hill is named uh -huh. John Wood Sweet. And he okay. just wrote this award-winning book called The Sewing Girl's Tale about the first woman in the United States to sue for sexual assault in 1793, that wow. long ago. And he wrote this whole book, and I read the book, and I thought I just thought there was music in it, like to somehow musically portray that whole chain of events. And I just cold called him, and he said, yes, let's do it. So we're going to take have four of their own students there at UNC Chapel Hill that are going to sing this music that, I mean, I've kind of setting the music, some of the old court documents and some other things that that might have been portraying her education as a young woman and so on. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be in the fall, uh, actually in October. So right. I'll be Well, I'm going to try my level best to get there to see it then. Okay, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so we've talked about this whole thing before. Um, 
it all came about because I was turning 50 and I wanted to do a, a voice recital on my 50th birthday. And I had planned to do it. And I wanted to set a, a, I wanted to arrange a set of vocal pieces on Fanny Crosby's hymns, like Blessed Assurance and some of the other ones. Just for, just that's all. Right. And just, I was doing some research on her. All I knew about her was that she was a beloved, bl- uh, she, she, um, a doctor messed up her, blinded her basically when she was a baby because there was something wrong and he was trying to fix her eyes and put something in them that really destroyed her vision. So, you know, I knew about her in mission work and doing good things and being an abolitionist and all the, and of course a hymn writer. And then I ran across this information that she wrote minstrel songs. And I thought there's no way that that, she wouldn't have even been dabbling in that kind of stuff anyway, right. let alone minstrel songs. So, and the and the thing is, she's not credited on any of them. So mm-hmm. I thought, so y'all are going to have to really convince me that this happened. So I kept searching. And in fact, she did write minstrel songs. And it wasn't unusual at that time for lyricists of minstrel songs just to not get the credit. She talks about it in her own autobiography. She talks about it very matter-of-factly. Like, yes, I wrote the songs for um, from the point of view of an of a negro on the you know and i'm just i was just so taken aback and then i then i started changing the whole concert to be a whole movement a whole event around what does this what what are the implications of this so she used so many pseudonyms because if she didn't entire hymn books would be full of only fanny crosby fanny crosby fanny so i made that into a thing like she had aliases and i so i i basically just primed the a whole audience to hate her from the beginning <laughs> you know she she used right. aliases she always was in disguise of course that was her those were her dark glasses that she wore because she was blind so i was i was priming them to hate her i used the name cora linden because that was one of her pseudonyms mm-hmm. and all of the hymn stuff i redacted from the program right. um so it wasn't until the very end that i slapped the audience with the fact that we were talking about fanny crosby and people were shocked and then i had this survey about what sh- does this mean anything? Most people said not really, and then it, then I go down the rabbit hole of but what to what degree? So, in other words, if she was a bad person, would it matter? If she was not an abolitionist, would it matter? If she was pro slavery, would it matter? If her songs were not just kind of like glorifying the old South, but the whole dialect and the whole the really really terrible terrible kinds of uh, would that matter? So. I'm just trying to, well, for I, I told you ahead of time, in 20, oh, 2020, 2026, mm-hmm. Stephen Foster's turning 200. Mm-hmm. And by any objective measure, he was one of the greatest American songwriters. It, it just He's just great at it. Mm-hmm. So I'm left wondering, what do I do with that? And And so I guess my first question is, just real generally... I mean, do you think that if 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 a work of art is intrinsically good, should it? I mean, is there are there reasons to cancel it? Well, um, that's an interesting question because I often uh, struggle with that. There are very many talented people who create wonderful music. I mean, we can see that even today when we we think of um, even some of the current um, songwriters and performers um, who 
who are just so gifted, obviously so gifted, but then they have such baggage along with it. You know, there is, uh, you know, there is this artistic expression that the, it, it can't be denied that they are, you know, wonderful works of art. But then there's this other piece, you know, I do think we have to, when we consider the historical, um, when we put it in a, in a historical framework, I do think we have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that there are just some things that are so intrinsically woven into the societal fabric that often they come out without consideration um, because in that time, that's normal. Um, when you mention minstrel songs, what I what I I I think, jump Jim Crow. You know, I think uh, they they are songs that are uh, uh, steeped in the degradation of of Africans in the diaspora um, that came out of that. Um, but but then I don't know. You know. Like you said, uh, or like you alluded to earlier, Fanny Crosby wrote minstrel songs, and I I I know Fanny Crosby because I go you know I go to church, <laughs> you know, and I grew up with a a a Baptist hymn. Though we were missionary Baptists, a little that's a little different from Southern Baptists, but 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 her name is in that Blessed Assurance. This was like one of my grandmother's favorite hymns. You know, you would hear her humming that. Um, I even sing that with uh, to my mother, who is currently um, infirm. You know, just to live. It is that woven into what you know our own observances. So to hear that she also wrote minstrel songs, you know, it takes this kind of takes me aback. And so um, I think I would reserve comment on what that meant because what is a minstrel song like what is a minstrel song what is a minstrel song Lena? well <laughs> i mean what you said is 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 perfect it was meant i mean at, at its most benign it was mm-hmm. meant to just portray african-americans in a way that benefited the entertainment the sort of the base entertainment of the american public that's that it's at, at its best Right. At its worst, it was just an egregious, like you said, degradation of, of right. those people. So there's there's not a thing good about it. Not a single thing good about it, mm-hmm. in my view. Right, right. Um, you know, so then, you know, just kind of based on that, I would I would say that, um, you know, we would have to um, separate... Um, I think I think sometimes it's it's important to com- compartmentalize, um, but not compartmentalize to the point that um, we, you know we just accept anything. I think it is very important. However, when we discuss like the work of Fanny Crosby and we acknowledge this great work, we have to put it within that historical framework. Okay, this is she made some choices here, right? Um, some choices that are problematic. Even more problematic today, it, it, when we look back on it, 
Um, it is certainly egregious. Oh my gosh, she's appropriating a culture that she really doesn't know anything about. She hasn't walked this walk. She cannot speak, her voice cannot speak for this group of people. But should she be be held to that in perpetuity when it is something that that maybe even any of the people at that time, you know, wouldn't have looked at as being negative, particularly if she wasn't being overtly negative about people that descended from the enslaved Africans. Yes. Um, and so I think when we are in these spaces and we're making the decision about what we want to convey to our audience, what we want to show, we have to be as artists, as arrangers, as composers, um, willing to provide context. I think context matters, you know, not just putting it out there and saying, this is Fanny work, Fanny Crosby's work. She was the greatest, you know, and, and going on and not giving it any context because that creates problems. Yes. I, 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 yeah. Now, thank you. So in the case, as we've talked about, in the case of Fanny Crosby, besides this one little blight on her output, she was exemplary. She was a big supporter of Abraham Lincoln. She was a staunch abolitionist. What What if she hadn't been? What What if she were the opposite? Would Then how... Forget about the minstrel songs for a moment, but... Well, no, don't forget about the minstrel songs, but... If we if we found out that she had this other life of this terrible racist person, how would that then inform how we do you think inform how we interact with Blessed Assurance and all the good works that she did? I mean, it seems right. to make a difference in my mind. It does. I think it does as well. You know, if that's the 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 if that's the walk she had in her life that you know she w she was not an abolitionist she believed in uh, a class structure that placed African Americans so somewhere near the bottom if 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 on it at all you know so I I think that um, we have to be careful not to glorify that do we take all of her music and destroy it course we don't. Um, I think one of the great dangers of doing that um, is uh, an elimination or an erasure of history because it's not just art, it's history. It has to go somewhere. So in, in, in regards to the educational use it could provide, in regards to the admonition to not walk down these paths again, which certainly we can look, look around today and see there are some paths that people do want to walk back down. We have to um, allow it breath so that we can say, that's not right. Mm. Um, we also, I think, it can also be used, and uh, and I'm I'm, I'm going to walk gingerly here. Um, when people who are who are of that similar faith, um, 
are able to, they need to be able to, to, to see that there's, there's not just the song, there's the walk with the song. So if you're singing blessed, if you've written blessed assurance, who is that for? If you say over on this side that these people are, are less than, and then on this side, you say that, you know, there's this blessed assurance that is available to all of you over here. What is that saying about this? I mean, it's complex. It, it really is complex. I think you can, you can talk about the, the duality of that. We can talk about her ability to, to write these songs that are lasting, you know, these hymns and whatnot, but that, but, but recognize that that is damaged by, is often damaged by what we really know about yes. her. Is that really for me? Is this blessed assurance really for me? Was that what she was thinking of? You know, I, as an African-American person, if that was the case, I would have a problem with that. It's kind of like, I hope I don't get you uh, kicked off. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like R. Kelly. You know, you know, R. Kelly. Yes. R. Kelly. You know, it's kind of like that. This magnificent, he's, he's gifted, no doubt. Yeah. But I, I have a hard time. I don't buy his music. Mm. I turn the station. Because now in my mind, when I listen to those lyrics, there's always this idea in my mind that there's something behind this that is not right. Mm. And when it, and if I'm, and if I'm thinking about that in context, you know, I know he's, I know he's done these things. Who is he talking about in this song? Hmm. You know, and, yeah. and that's my, that, that is my, that, that's kind of my thought, you know, on that. I know many people would disagree with what, you know, I say. And of course there are no perfect people. True, true. We I all um, oh, go ahead. I just okay. thought about this yesterday because um I was running late for rehearsal and I, I hadn't been to the gym in forever and I thought I'm gonna try to go to the gym and I'm gonna go to rehearsal and I'm gonna make it all work out. While I was at the gym, I thought, Oh gosh, I haven't gotten myself anything to eat for my dinner break and I won't have a uh, I won't have enough time to drive and go somewhere. So I was gonna have to leave the gym and find a grocery store and go back home. So right across the street from the gym is a certain grocery store, um, local, a locally owned grocery store. And on January 6th, that, that day, January 6th, the owner posted himself um, on social media having attended in D.C. that whole event. He didn't storm the Capitol, but he was like, hey, look, look what our people are doing. And I told myself... I'm not going to go to that grocery store anymore. So, but then in the gym, I thought, I don't really have a choice. It's the only way this whole timing is going to work out. So I had already flirted with the idea of going against my principles. And then when I pulled into the parking lot of the grocery store, there was a subway right there. And I said, okay, we can work with this. So I went to the subway and got something instead. So I, yeah, it's like, Somehow, by by giving my money to this person, 
it's like saying, well, it's really not a big deal that you were there at this really horrible day in the life of our country. Right. And and so that's what that's kind of the, where what where I'm teetering on in my professional life too. It's it's like, yeah, if I do do a concert where the music of Stephen Foster is um is put forward, I'm going to give a whole bunch of context, but I want to be clear that it's not just a self-serving way for me to be allowed to do it. Right. So that's where, because beautiful dreamer, wake Ooh. unto me. It's just good music. And I right. want so bad to just wallow in that good music. But then I have to be really careful because, yeah, I mean, his minstrel songs. Yeah. I mean, that's some really bad stuff. Right. And uh, one of my research projects I want to do, if I can figure out, I mean, I don't write books, so I'm going to have to get help with how to do this, but to try to go back in the archives and look at reviews at the at the time, people who were commenting on minstrelsy at the time, and see, right. is it was it really so universally loved, or were there enough voices that were saying, y'all, come on, mm-hmm. this ain't right? Right. I know some people were doing that, but you know when you read about it, it's basically it was just such an ubiquitous thing. Even Abraham Lincoln loved minstrel shows, but at this, there must have been more voices than than people really talk about. In other words, you know, should Stephen Foster have known better? I think he should have, but of course, I'm looking at it from a lens, you know, 200 years later. Right. And um, and the thing is, I mean, I guess he had the potential to make a lot of money and probably did, but he died pen- just died penniless. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I don't know. And that's another one of those things. If you're dwelling in that kind of darkness, what what that alcoholism and everything else. So right. I don't know. It's a, like you said, it's a really fraught topic. Right. You know, I was just sitting here thinking as you were. Um, as you were speaking, um Certainly there were people that there were people that knew it was wrong, you know. I, I, the, I certainly there were, but when you live, I think just human nature, you know, we do kind of have in some instances a herd mentality. Especially when whatever is happening or whatever is whatever that wrong thing is, if it's not impacting us, you know, if it's not impacting us, then we, you know, it's easy for us to kind of frame it in. Well, that's just how it is. I'll look back, you know, I wouldn't look back on Stephen, but you know, when I got, when we talked about it, I went back and looked at um, his body, some of his, his work, Stephen Foster. And um, in, my, the, in my mind, they call him the father of American music. I was like, now that's, a, I, haven't, I haven't seen that distinction, but it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> right. You know, and I think that's an interesting title to give someone who, who did not write for the for the for the for the body of America, you know what I'm saying, or the body yes. of the United States. You know, I I I have I have 
I have issues with that. You know, there's so many people that shape what American music really, you know, is. I have I have a hard time with titles like that, just period. But when I when I hear titles like that given to someone who just um so clearly had delineations between what, you know, who deserved what and, you know, how people were perceived and all of that. Um, that that's that's difficult um, for me. Um, and I would say it's probably difficult for, you know, I hope it's difficult for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I, I hope, you know, yeah. you know, we've grown past that. Well, you know, everybody, you know, it's it's what is done. You know, that's right. Um, I remember we actually first started talking about this, but I was so excited because in March we had a big choral Sacred Nine concert, all mm-hmm. old hymns. <clears throat> and I like to do I like to do funky things with with hymns. Um, right. And I had this idea to mash up There Shall Be Showers of Blessing with April Showers, that old ni- 1920s song. And then in the mm-hmm. back of my mind, I remembered that that was from an old Al Jolson musical. Mm-hmm. And he sang it in blackface. I'm not sure if his character sang that song. I think he did. But it was definitely a black from a blackface musical. Right. Now... The song April Showers is just a universal song of hope. You would never dream it was from a minstrel show. There's no dialect in it. It's just a standard, like an American standard, just a beautiful little song, little gem. So, um, but then I thought better of it because I didn't know what to, what to do with that. So mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts about what about the songs that that don't do in and of themselves any dishonor to a people or are we, or, or are we thinking about where it came from and how it was first delivered to how it, you know, how it first breathed its life. Right. Um, I do think sometimes songs can be repurposed. So there is this song, it was sung within this, it was sung by this man who was in, in blackface. How can we turn that? How can we say, oh, that's wrong and, and make it right? You know, I, you know, that, that's, that's all, but how can we, and I think as artists, you know, we have the ability to, to do that, to, to reshape, to remold, to extract, um, you know the 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 good. What is it to 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 take the meat and throw out the fat? You know, um, yeah. I, I think that there there perhaps is that opportunity. Um, black blackface is um, so hard for me to get past, and it's so hard for a lot of people that I know to get past the concept of being, you know, it's so loaded, you know, when you have and your, and your people have for centuries, um, uh, been denied a, a place at the table of beauty, you know, I mean, even, I mean, even things like that, you know, monkey, you know, uh, barbaric, you know, just, 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 you know, the, just given these these titles that 
it is it is difficult um and to know it and hear it is almost enraging <laughs> you know i think it has to be i think if it's utilized in that way it has to be um an extraction of something you know there has to be we 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 we're extra we're taking this and we're using it for glory you know uh, i mean spiritually secularly however you want to 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 frame that you know i i have a hard time saying that things should be completely banned mm-hmm. i don't want to get ahead of myself though so no 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 I'll no stop no. no it's yeah. good yeah yeah um, no i i have i have a i have a hard time with that because i think every everything is a learning every 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 piece of literature every song every speech there is a whether it was good or it's bad we need to know it 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 needs to exist somewhere we need to understand uh the context the hermeneutics we use that word yeah we, okay. we need to yeah we need to we need to understand that um because if we don't and and what i feel like i'm seeing even now is that we're going to repeat some stuff. We're going to have to refight wars that we've already fought. Yeah. Because we we say, okay, that's over. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. You know. Yeah. That's just my my thought on that. Uh Yeah, and I you know, I'm still coming to terms with white privilege and what that means. And I used to say um I used to not care about politics. I used to say that all the time. And then all of a sudden I started caring about politics. I wish I didn't, but I do. And that is the most white privileged statement that you can be. I didn't care about politics because I didn't have to care about politics. Because everything in the country was just set up so that I can just sail right on through. When you were saying, we don't want to feel uncomfortable, that... I totally identify with that because, you know, why Why am I putting myself through all of this when I don't really have to? But I do have, I mean, now I do have to, thankfully. Right. Um, I'm also reminded about the, the snowball effect of it. For example, mm-hmm. a few years ago, I don't know how many years ago now, but they, they used to have, I guess at the New York Yankees, they used to have Kate Smith singing God Bless America at the seventh inning stretch. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know sports. At right. some point during the game, they would play her saying right. God Bless America. Mm-hmm. And then it was discovered that she she did blackface or she recorded blackface songs back in the 30s. And then from that day to this, they don't do that anymore. They they use different artists who sing the song or what what mm-hmm. not. But they still use the song. So right. the strange thing is Irving Berlin was the worst. And he wrote that song. I mean, he wrote so many like Orientalism songs and blackface mm-hmm. songs. But somehow, how did he come out unscathed with that song? Because that song is a representative of of all these bad things too. So like when you start to cancel, I mean, you're going to have to maybe kind of keep on going back a few layers of the onion. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it would be neat if we could just grab all the songs and say, this is up for renovation. (laughs) We're not, we're not, we're, we, 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 we're going to, we're going to extract the heinous nature of this song. 
Yeah. And we're going to we're gonna we're gonna do something. You know, we I I just I just um. You know, when you look back at any song, especially our political, you know, our songs that are patriotic. I, I I never thought I would come to just cringe every time I hear that word. Our patriotic songs are so mired, steeped in just racism and and classism and 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 song with such joy mm. um and you we don't know it because very often the songs that are sung we think there's like oh yeah there are two verses to that song you know and then there's like five more verses talking about yeah. darkies mm. or you know just you know these things that that we don't know that come out and then people are so you know, people get so offended. Even some people that knew that the <laughs> verses were there, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, mea culpa, nobody's going back, you know, and that is, that is painful. That's painful. You know, um, bringing something, bringing, bringing, I think the music to the table and saying, this is problematic. We're not going to do this. At least not in this way. Mm. You know, um, I think, I would like to think that if in years to come, my work is still being considered and I've said something that honestly was through this collective lens that was ignorant, that was not um, uplifting to people. I would want somebody to say, you know what? She was out of her mind. Let's get rid of this hmm. part, this piece. As an artist, you know, there are some things that probably you you've written or said or you know, whatever that if you could go back, you, you could go back and change it. You'd strike out some verses, or you, or you, you know, yeah. for whatever reason, it doesn't even have to be about race or culture or anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, well, I do know. <laughs> I do know. I don't want to be remembered like that. Yeah. You know, um, I would like to think. Fanny Crosby wouldn't want to be remembered like that. Mm. But I can't speak for her. Yeah. Because I don't know. She might come back and say, make America great again. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she can't conceive it, you know. And, you know, we, we talk about it in regards to race. But, you know, what are we doing? What are we saying for these other issues that exist in our society as well that find their way into art into music visual arts you know literary arts w what do we what do we do with that um i don't think we could throw it away because it's a teaching tool um but i also think some of it can be reformed hmm. redeemed 
repurposed. Redeemed because um, it, if you contextualize it, the, the the work can have a have its its own life as long as there's yeah. a kind of an asterisk there to right. to, to educate. Right. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Just a you know just 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 thinking about um this and there are some people that get really um really in their feelings when there has been something that they just really and truly loved and then they find out that there's something problematic about the person that produced it or you know you know i i i or or the work itself you know but the work doesn't make itself the yeah. people make the work you know and there are good and evil there is good and evil in all mm -hmm. of us <laughs> i would venture to yeah. say that there are some things that i might as a poet write in anger and then i myself censor myself or mm -hmm. go back and 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 conceptualize, you know, I, I might not because maybe that feeling is real, but maybe I need to convey it in such a way that that reminds the people reading. I don't hate you. I hate what's happening here. Where does that leave righteous anger? I mean, it, it, it seems like that anger can happen and, and you don't need to. I mean, you can, you need to do what you need to do, but I'm saying, right. like, I think there, isn't there a place for just righteous anger? I mean, yes. injustice, this is wrong. This is, this is wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a place for that. But usually, I mean, I, I think righteous anger that, 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 that if you're writing, what, why are you writing? If you're, why, why are you creating this? What, for what purpose is this? So I write a lot of social justice poetry. Yeah. Um, I want everybody to read it and understand what I'm saying. Um, that sometimes in high anger, if I'm writing a social justice poem, and I think usually my social justice poetry is pretty straight, is straightforward. Um, but but sometimes in high anger, I I won't. I think some things I said, nobody, and then I go back and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody's going to read this because nobody's going to publish this, <laughs> you know, because it is yeah. so, it is so steeped in something that's almost uncontrollable at times. You know, um, I think we all have a responsibility to create work that, especially when you know you create, you're trying to create a good work. You're trying to make a change. Um, we have a responsibility to reach as many people as we can. Kind of like Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King knew that African Americans in this country were not treated equally. He experienced it himself. But he also knew that you can't win the battle alone. That the movement had to be diverse in order for the movement to move forward. Yes. He was a master of optics. Mm. He surrounded himself with people. And I always show um, uh, 
in my my uh, freshman English classes, all we we do we 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 start out with a narrative essay, and I and I and a part of that media content base involves a of this grainy film of him doing I Have a Dream. Mm. And um, it's interesting. The camera makes sure that it shows this movement is diverse. You know? Yeah. So I always, I operate with that in in mind. I don't want to be so caught up in my, so caught up in my feelings that I can't reach people who don't look like me. Mm. You know, I that, think that yeah. that is important, you know. Now let me ask a follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Just say one of these days cuz you you know you're you're headed for it. One of these days <laughs> one of these days when Regina YC Carter is just a known poet. Uh-huh. Would you then dip your toe into just like an uncensored or or would you still temper yourself? the way you're doing right now do you well, think I, right I, well i'm a raging fire and so <laughs> so i think yes i think that i i will probably it depends on what I, what i'm what it's for you yeah, know yeah. um what what it's for um i i don't want to leave this world was something that I wrote and it was written to, to hurt people. Yeah. I don't want to hurt people, but I do want people to understand the things that are wrong. Yeah. And the things that need to happen. Um, I don't, uh, I don't believe in, I don't believe too much in qualifiers, you know, uh, you hear people say, oh, well, you know, all black people, you know, or or not use a qualifier at all. Well, you know, black people. No, you don't know them all. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, white people. No, you don't know them all. Yeah. That slides out of our mouth, though. Yeah. You know, if if m- most of us, we often speak and don't use a, a we don't regulate with qualifiers. You know. Yeah. We neglect the individual. Yeah, and absolutely. So, yeah. I, I'm I'm bad about that when I come across and face on Facebook some really dogmatic pastor that's just kind of doing the just triggering the old my childhood with all the hellfire and brimstone and right just all these things. I just I just want to lump them all together and just say you all are just stupid. You all don't right. you know. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. you never know who in that church have have their own set yes. of um, values that they're not being so vocal about. But I, yeah, that's interesting. That and it's interesting that you bring that up because I, you know, um, like a, a lot of people say, you know, and I guess it can be said for any denomination. But you know, like I said, I grew up in a in a black Baptist church. Um, but I will, I can say that what I do know is that every everybody has their own perception of what, for example, Christianity is, or or who God is. You know, God doesn't look the same for everybody. 
so we have to be really careful. We have to be careful, you know. Um, I think it's interesting that um, a lot of what's going on in, in this country in regards to the rollback of, of rights for for many groups of people is connected to um, this Christian ideology. Yes. But all Christians don't have the same ideology, you know. And so then even when you get into like um, Pentecostalism or fundamental types of, you know, um, you know, I have people in my family who are Pentecostal, mm. but they're not down with the Pentecostal, you know, all Baptists aren't the same Baptists. All Pentecostals yeah. aren't the same Pentecostal. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, charismatic preaching is you know is is widespread <laughs> you know throughout denominations nowadays yeah. and so it it is i think we have to be careful not to not to lump um you know people you know i i'm quick to say um when i hear someone saying something and then putting putting it in within the context of of their belief system and God and God. And I'm sitting there going, well, my God is not that we might, we don't have the same, must not be the same one, same name, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think that's what we have to be um, aware of. Yeah. You know, and if you're aware of it and then you still believe with your whole heart, is that this is what needs to be said, you know, say it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned a little while ago that you're mm -hmm. a raging fire. So right. I think this is a great time if you oh. want to bless us with one of your poems from your book called The Fire Talker's Daughter, right? The yes. Fire Talker's Daughter. Now, I, when when this came out, I, I came to your, I guess it was an online launch Good in a lot. way. Yeah. Yes. And I went on and I bought two books, one for myself and one for some other lucky person. And I think I've determined who that person is. But anyway, um, I, I can't wait to give it to that person because it's going to really bless them. Oh, well, thank you. And I thank you for all your support. I just, you know, I just, I, I bless the day that uh, we were connected. Yeah. Um, uh, I just, I, I thank you for that. Um, I have one, but if there's one that you, that you would like for me to read, I I will do that. No, I want I want the one you whatever one you pick. Okay, well I always I'll pick the one that when I do readings, um, I always end with, um, and I end with it because you know for me it is a representation of of hope. It's but entitled. Before you start, though, can uh -huh. you tell the audience just a little bit about what it means to be a fire talker's daughter? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I think we need to, to hear that. Okay. So this book is a book that was written in uh, dedication uh, to my mother. My mother was a fire talker. And so a lot of people don't know what a fire talker is or, you know, what a fire talker does. But a fire talker is a person that um, can talk the pain um, out of a burn and speed the healing. So the whole book is not necessarily about, you know, the, the act of fire talking. Um, it is mentioned in, 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 in the first poem. 
but it is about these lessons that were passed on to me um, by my mother. Um, the, the things she told me verbally, but also the way in which she lived her life, you know, as well. She grew up in North Carolina. She went to North Carolina Central University. Then it was North Carolina College. It's an HBCU, Historically Black um, College and University. Um, and she um, was the first in her direct line to to go to college. And so that was that was that was monumental. She went on to she taught French and then she got a master's degree and she became a librarian. And so for over 30 years, she was a, a librarian in um, an elementary school um, in our state. And so this that she had a lot of experiences in her life. She lived during you know, she was born in 1943. So she lived during that, that time of Jim Crow, went to segregated schools. She taught me a lot about being black and being a woman uh, and showing up in spaces um, and recognizing that you won't always be accepted right away. Um, but you got to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're going to have to be better than two, you know, you're going to have to be two or three times better than the other person in the room. You know, mm-hmm. if the room is, if, if, if it's, if it's not a, especially if it's not a segregated room, if it's an integrated room, you're going to have to, you know, show up and, and do, and that you're going to have to do the work, um, not just for yourself, but for your community, this whole idea of collective responsibility. Um, she was the woman that really um, did a lot to shape um, my my perceptions, even the perceptions that I hold today. Um, she currently um, is um, she is struggling with Alzheimer's, oh. and so um, this uh, you know I wanted to to put put forward something um, that reflects um, this idea of a fire um, and how she was able to wield that, you know, yeah. uh, both physically, but also metaphorically and how she enabled us. I'm the oldest of three girls, how she enabled us to be able to show up in the world and be okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. And so, well, you know, in saying that, that makes me want to read the first poem. Okay. <laughs> At your pleasure. At my pleasure. Okay. Maybe I'll give you two. The first one. Please do. Okay. Okay. So the first poem in the book is entitled The Fire Talker's Daughter. My mother talked the fire out of burns, eased the pain, as did her father, as did his mother, as does my son, as will his daughter. It had to pass me by as I was not a man child. Yet my mother looked at me like I was sun in the sky, like I was promise. She said that while I would not have that gift, I would have a great many. And even though I couldn't talk it, I most certainly carried it. Power. I entered the world very tiny and gray with a gray ring around my brown eyes, said I was scrawny with bright eyes that had seen before. Mama said a great many long-gone spirits dwelled where I was born, and when it was time to leave that place, she was well ready to go. They worried her incessantly. 
She told me many other things like how great auntie's hat and act were healers and women would come to them for many an unknown ailment and how God put these abilities in us because of what God knew we would need to survive, for our families to survive, for our people to survive. My mother marched in the movement. My mother educated the masses. My mother spoke the fire. But sometimes my mother held her tongue. My mother can no longer tell me any more about these truths I have discovered are very real. That is to say, she lives, but she cannot say. Sometimes her tongue gets confused. Sometimes her tongue is at rest. I cannot talk the fire. Yet I am fire. I know this because she told me so. Truth. Oh, <laughs> thank you. That's my mama. That's me. Oh, beautiful. She was the most she was the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh, She's the most beautiful woman. Lovely. Uh this next poem I'm gonna read, uh, I mentioned earlier, um, is the one that I end with. It's the one that um I think um gives the most hope. You know, I always think about we've gotta do better. Uh, we need to we need to do better so that our children can pick it up and make it even better. It's entitled, This Fire Tastes Like. This fire won't look like the last ones did. Sin souls torn up, crying, wandering, wondering how to get love back, how to fix life, how to repair. The last fires tasted like Tasted like loss, tasted like shame, tasted like despair, tasted like mourning, tasted like no way out, tasted like no way back, tasted like Tulsa, tasted like Elaine, tasted like Watts, tasted like Wilmington, tasted like Greenville and Old Epps High, tasted like all it had consumed. This fire, though, tastes different. This fire tastes fed up. This fire has eyes set beyond loss, beyond prison, beyond death, beyond the graves. This fire has new eyes fixed on that new, new Jerusalem. New fire going to propel these children into promised land. They won't need the water of the oppressors because they are children of living waters and raging fires. An earth that has promised fertility yet pushed out weeds to choke and distract. This fire tastes different. It tastes like energy, tastes like righteous fury. Its fuel is dark kindling root. It will combust from a place so deep, so misunderstood, so underestimated that it will not be contained. This fire tastes different. 
It tasted like resolve. It will reject any attempts to thwart combustion, the internal combustion. It will incinerate attempts at trickery for it has seen the video and believes. It saw murderous hubris. It saw the dead that were tried for dying. It saw the solid stance of patronizing defiance of other fires. It saw the lies stifling acrid air. This fire tastes different. It tastes alive. It will not stop until there is nothing left that can stop it. It will then scoop the ashes and build Jerusalem. Yeah, this fire tastes different. This fire tastes like revelation. This fire tastes like change. This fire tastes like hope. Thank you. It remind it. It's like a the old rally songs. It just it just incites us to to take action. And I mm-hmm. I, I love. We were just talking about righteous anger, and you have the words righteous fury in that poem, which I love. Yeah. Wow. And then yeah. the the singing it, part of the I guess part of like steeped into the poem is like a song as well. Right, right. Well, and a lot of my poetry, like in my mind, forms. It's music. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> music. And so um I, you know, I wanna honor um the traditions, um, you know, that 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 call response for tradition. You know, sometimes when I write, I hear the response of an audience, you know, this fire tastes different, and somebody out there saying, Yeah. This fire tastes like change. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I love it. You know? I love and it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I I love the you know the traditions. Um, yeah. uh, and I wanted this book to also reflect that as well. You know, the ancestry, the 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 the, the culture, um, the importance of, of of family, and of of, of teaching. Each one, teach one. With three man Yeah. 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 Of overcoming. Regina, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was so excited. I was like, I was. Finishing Line Press just published a wonderful book of her poetry, two of which you just heard. It's called The Fire Talker's Daughter. And if you visit sacrednine.com slash podguest news, there are links where you can purchase it. I bought two.